We are going to be uh, continuing our study on the book of <clears throat> uh, Ephesians. I want to take us really quickly uh, to something uh, that we're going to look at the account. There's three different accounts. <clears throat> There's the account from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13, uh, Mark chapter 9, 1 through 13, and then Luke chapter 9, 28 through 36, and what is referred to as the Transfiguration, or the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, let me read this passage for us really quickly, and then I'm going to show us uh, a place to park in our study of Ephesians with this particular passage of Scripture in mind. So let me take us to Matthew chapter 17 really quickly. I'm going to read the, these 13 verses for us, and then we're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 3. So Matthew 17, picking up at verse 1, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. This is what is referred to commonly as the inner circle or the inner three. And he was transfigured in front of them. That's a really spectacular word for his appearance was not what it was before. And just context clues, we're going to see this is probably most likely occurring at night. So don't think of uh, on television when you see the sun shining from behind somebody and they just have some sort of a glow. No, this is a glow and a radiance that, that comes from within Christ. Right? So again, just with that context in mind, He was transfigured in front of them and His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I will set up three, shelter, three shelters, some translations say three tabernacles, or three tents, here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. And Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked... When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. Why? Because Jesus is tricky. Right? No, but in that moment, the, the, the figure of Moses and Elijah they had seen is no longer there. So they look up from this moment of fear. And, and it's just Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Alright, just hold on for a second, guys. This is Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, speaking of His own death as if it is just no big deal and commonplace. So the disciples ask Him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, 
and they didn't recognize Him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to Him. And in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that He had spoken to them about John the Baptist. This is just a passage, honestly guys, we could just really meditate on. This is a passage that we could spend a lot of time on, but that is not where our particular text will find us tonight. But I needed you to have this as a bit of uh, a a launch point. This has got to be a bit of a springboard for you to understand Paul and understand Paul with some more certainty and some more clarity in what he says to us in Ephesians 3. So we know that our passage of Ephesians 3 here spoken here of, of the Jew and the Gentile as co-heirs, right? Or as fellow heirs. So we see in verse 5, This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And the Gentiles are co-heirs members of the same body, and partners in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of His power. This grace was given to me the least of all the saints. Man, this is a total transformation from the Paul that we first met in our study of the book of Acts. Do you guys remember, what was the first thing that Paul did? Just complete debate, chaos, madness, hostility, and division. And now we have the same Paul saying that he is the least of all the saints. Just for a refresher as we studied the book of Acts. This is the same Paul that is preaching up on the third floor, right? And his preaching goes so long, there's a kid in the window who falls asleep, falls to his death. Paul continues to preach, and once he's done, goes downstairs and they see him lifted from his demise, from his death. Man, I wish you guys would give me that much leeway that I could preach to the point that you fall to sleep, you know. But I digress. This is the same Paul who we have known to be quite boastful at times. Here we see him speak of the grace that was given to him, the least of all the saints. To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Alright, Paul, who was quite possibly a Pharisee, who was most certainly a member of the Sanhedrin, who was persecuting Christians as a devout Jew. So who would we feel he's the most qualified to go and preach the gospel to? The Jews. Why? Because he gets them. But quite often, 
The way that God will use us as vessels is in the way that we would least expect it. So here's Paul, someone who has quite obviously suffered the thorn in his flesh. Someone who has been beaten down by the ministry. Someone who has seen the highs and the lows. And here amongst all these these different things that he has seen, he says, and all these things, grace was given to me. The least of all the saints to proclaim to the Gentiles. And we know in the book of Romans, he says that salvation is to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. And he, he really follows Jesus' lead. One of the first things that Jesus would do as he went into these different towns is go into the synagogue and teach. He would go into, uh, said another way, their temple or their, their sanctuary and preach to who? First the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so Paul follows this lead. What this shows us is that Paul, we know from studying the book of Galatians, and I've, we pointed this verse out, Paul has had his encounter with the risen Christ. In the desert of Arabia, said another way, in Egypt, the desert of Egypt, we know that he spends an untold amount of time with Christ Jesus. And so he is qualified to be called an apostle. That was one of the points of contention. You were one of the ones who was, you know, behind the killing of Christ, behind the killing of Stephen. How could you be called an apostle? You didn't have the the to to be an apostle quite literally means to be a sent one or a sent out one or a set apart one. And so people were picking him apart. You were the one that oppressed the gospel. How could you be called an apostle? And I think the same could be said to a lot of the church today. We're called to be the body of Christ. And most often, we're the ones that pick other believers apart to the point that they question their faith. We we as a a body are the ones that pick other believers apart to the point they don't want to come to church. How are we doing with that? Guys? And he says he's here to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable, incalculable riches of Christ. That's not a word that you run into in your everyday in and outs. What does this mean? It means if you added up all the goodness of God, you could never... You could never equate. You could never calculate. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens, or some translations say in the heavenly realms. So verse 10 is is something we're going to have to unpack and spend a lot of time on if we wanted to get to the depths of it. What I'm most likely going to do here is give you guys homework, suggested reading or suggested follow-through of someone who you can go and study who's done just 
comprehensive work. Because on its surface, you guys get the, 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 the fullness of how this ends, right? Verse 10, let me read this again. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be now made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Anybody else just catch, catch that? The rulers and authorities in the heavens. That's a lot to chew on. There's a lot going on in one nugget right there. And again, uh, I'm not going to touch too highly on it, but I will if you are, would like to study that in more depth and detail. See, as we spoke about on Sunday, there is very much a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare that goes on Every day. Uh, the kingdom of God has been referred to as the already and not yet. Y'all ever heard that expression? You should have because I have taught you guys that before. The already and not yet. And this echoes into what we're studying as we see. I mean, the idea that God would, would bring salvation to all people is just littered through the Old Testament. But the Hebrews or the, uh, the, the nation of Israel or the Jewish people only saw salvation to and amongst themselves. So much so, when we were down on the other side, y'all remember when we studied the book of Jonah? Jonah was mad. God, how could you bring your salvation to people who are not us? And in church, we still have this idea of kind of a, an in-crowd that we try and make. Uh, and, uh, said another way, we, we, we compare ourselves unjustly to others rather than see Christ as the way in which we're all measured. We, we say, I may be bad, but at least I'm not. Okay, if, if that starts that way, can I just tell you guys what you have just participated in. It's called gossip. Okay? If you start your self-justification or as Christ said, you guys remember in the, in the gospel of Jesus, there was something that he, he weighed here. It was called this idea of self-righteousness. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for the sick. And so when we compare ourselves and we build ourselves up by belittling others, you are exactly the person that Jesus says the gospel cannot penetrate through to your heart. You are the person who is not reached. That's dangerous. Why? Because we, we know as we read the New Testament that there is a teaching where Jesus is very clear and He says there will be a moment when those come to Him and say, Lord, Lord, and He has to say to them, depart from Me. I never knew you. And they say, but Jesus, I did the stuff. We prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. We led people to Christ in your name. And he says, but you, I, I never knew you. The best way I've ever heard this explained, everybody here like sports, right? You're like, no. But you're familiar enough with sports. My, my Bostonites... I'm about to say a name that might bring harsh memories to you. And you're like, if you say Drew Bledsoe, I'm throwing something. 
No, but, but well, we could we could use him. But here, think about this: Brett Favre. Everybody know who Brett Favre is? Nobody here knows who Brett Favre is. Green Bay Packers number four, the Brett Favre, right? Betrayer of the Atlanta Falcons. Y'all are like no idea. Okay, wait a minute. Barack Obama. Who in here knows the name Barack Obama? All right, now we all know the name Barack Obama. You think you know Barack Obama? Why he was your president? You study things about him. Donald Trump. Oh, I know Donald Trump. You you know of Donald Trump. But to know someone and know them personally and intimately is a two-way street. You could walk up to Donald Trump on the street. Oh, this is a bad example. I'm going to steer away from this one because I'm going to go in a really bad place. We'll go back to Barack Obama. You could run into Barack Obama on the street and say, Hey, Barack. And he would be like, Hey, fellow American. Right? Because he has no idea who you are. You're like, I know all the things about you. I know your birthday. And he's like, that's weird. Do I need to call the officials because you're stalking? You're like, no, 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 but I know you. And he has to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That'll hurt. When I was like, let me give you my example. Uh, When this was... Roughly 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Anybody like the Atlanta Braves? You better say yes, even if you don't. You just lie to me. These are fighting words. Okay? I've, I've made my idol and I know it. I'm just... Hey. Watch, watch it, Fenway Faithful. So about 12 years ago, there was a young pitcher coming through the Atlanta Braves, and his name was Chris Medlin. They called him the Candy Man. And you think, that is such a cool nickname. It's really not. Why? The veterans made him carry a, a strawberry shortcake backpack that was full of candy. So at any moment, they basically, I mean, when we could actually haze people without it being like a crime, right? Sorry. But they would at any moment say, give me some candy. And you know what he had to do? He had to turn around and bend and let them. And they better he better have it, their candy. But... He was like a folk hero for Braves Faithful. Why? Because he was brought up on what was supposed to be just a filler assignment. And what a filler assignment is, is in the major leagues, there's what it's called a 40-man roster. And so guys who are not on the 25-man, which is now 26-man active roster, they can pull from that 40 at any given time, and they bring a guy in for a night, like a pitcher, and he could pitch. Well, he was brought on that kind of assignment, and he killed it, and they kept him. And I became like a big fan of Chris Medlin. And so uh, I got to go to a Braves game and go on like a meet and greet kind of a, a deal. And so I got to meet Chris Medlin. And there was this moment for me where I'm fanboying. Why? Because like, this is the dude. And while I've got this connection and I feel so close to him, like you're meeting someone who you look up to. You know why I looked up to him? Because I'm someone, I got some redhead in me. You could not make me carry a, a strawberry shortcake backpack full of candy and that not cause me and you to, to go a couple rounds. But he took it. And even when he wasn't a rookie, he still carried this backpack for the older guys. But 
In, in that moment, that story of Jesus and the depart from me, I never knew you, it, it, it rang home to me. Why? Because like in this moment, I know everything, creepily know everything about this guy. Right? And so in that moment, I feel like I know him. But to know someone in, in a relational state is a two-way street. And so examine any of your relationships in your life. If you don't know them and they know you, then it's not a relational relational relationship. It is just an acquaintance on your behalf to that person. And that's Jesus with a lot of people, guys. You know, about a month ago, I read a statistic for us, not going into the super specifics, but about 3 billion people would profess to know Christ. All right. Come a step down and realize that there's going to be those who He has to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So of 3 billion people that know Christ, maybe if we're being just like really optimistic, 2 billion have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And on its, on its just alone on that number, you go, man, praise God. It is a good thing. But then I tell you that there's over 8 billion people in the world. So that means two-thirds of the world, if, the, if, if we breathed our last right now, two-thirds of the world would spend the rest of eternity in hell. It gets very real. And so, so Paul uses some specific language uh, that we're going to really pack, unpack and camp on. Uh, and it starts right here at verse 9. Let me read this to you. I read initially from the Christian Standard Bible, but I'm going to read this uh, from the Berean Standard Bible that I have been building this commentary from. And so it says, And to illuminate... Let me, let me go back really quick to verse 8 so we give the fullness. Though I am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Alright, verse 9. And to illuminate for everyone the stewardship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And so now, with this whole picture beginning to, to unpack for you, let me set the scene back. And we're going to... Anybody remember Keshers? Right? Woo! We're going to take this Kesher a little bit further back. But with the potential imagery that, that Paul had in mind was probably that of the Mount of Transfiguration. And so we know, because we have full revelation, and I don't think we have full... Revelation, just so we're all together. We have a greater revelation than what was available to the Jews. And so there are, even today, what are referred to as Messianic or completed Jews. In other words, they have took the, the, the tunnel vision off and extended it to the same reach that you and I have to see who Christ was, to see what He did for us. There are some things that are fact. You can go and study the historical records for an atheist to deny this, and nobody's actually an atheist. If, so to be atheist is to say that there is no God. 
Even if you don't believe in God, you worship yourself as the God of your life. So therefore, no one believes in no God. You are just the God of your life. Everybody with me? Why? Because what we spend our time, what we spend our time really uh, homing in on is what is or who is God in our life. And so with this this more this more full revelation in mind. Paul would inevitably be thinking back of this account of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in front of Jesus is Moses, who was the law, is the law. And Elijah, who represents not just the prophets. See, that's a misconception. Yes, he represents the prophets, but he also represents the history or the writings. Okay? So, literally, uh, said another way, the Old Testament stands in front of Jesus. And there's a very famous line of Jesus where he says, I, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so uh, with, with this idea in mind, you, you start to see that Moses, though he spoke intimately and personally with God, he received the law from God, never got to look upon the face of God. Why? Because to look upon the face of God would have killed him because Shekinah glory, he couldn't have have stood himself with the greatness or the unsearchable riches that were the incalculable riches and goodness of God. And so, I really like this terminology that we see here where it says, and to illuminate for everyone. Pretty... Pretty specific wording, right? Illuminate for everyone. And this word here for everyone is cosmos. Does that sound familiar? It should, because the cosmos for us is our universe, our galaxy, and this the, the unfurling world around us. It's all of it. And so here when Paul says that he's going, he's here to illuminate for everyone, y'all, he don't just mean a couple people. For everyone, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus as they're both Lord and Savior, everyone. But this idea of illumination is one that the, the, the uh, Hebrew reader would have just been pinging off the charts. But also to the, the, the Gentile or the Greek or the Roman hearer or reader, it would have been pinging off. Why? Who is, the, to your knowledge, who's the greatest God amongst the, 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 the Greek gods? Zeus. And what did Zeus hold in his hand? Lightning. You guys got it. Alright, the Egyptian gods, so the other major god of this place. Anybody know? Ra. And what was Ra? He was the sun god. This idea of the, the big D deity, the big G god, amongst many numerous cultures, amongst many false gods, the one representation of God and the great God is always this idea of illumination. And so, 
With this in mind, now look at this. And to illuminate for everyone. Alright, so Paul is saying, it doesn't matter where you came from. The way, the truest way of seeing God is through what? It's not a trick question, y'all. Illumination. Right? And he says, I'm going to illuminate for everyone. Now for the Jewish hearer here, hearer, the Jewish listener, their mind is instantly, let me just unpack some of these for you. Exodus 3, verse 2, you're going to be familiar with this. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from within a bush. And Moses saw the bush ablaze with fire, but it was not consumed. The bush was illuminated. Alright, we're going to keep going just just even further. We're following these catchers, guys. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, looking down at verse 21. And the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to guide their way by day, and in a pillar of fire to give them light by night, so that they could travel by day or night. So day or night, it was illuminated for them. Keep following this, Kesher. Exodus chapter 33. Verses 17 through... Verses... 17 through 23. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked me. And you say, what was the thing? If your your presence does not go with us, Moses replied, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known to your people, and I have found favor in your sight unless you go with us, how else will we be distinguished from all the other people on the face of the earth? So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. You know what Moses wants to see? Just show me your face, God. Just let me see you. Let me be in your presence, God. And then Moses said, Please show me your glory. Verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, the Lord replied, and I will, rep- I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Alright guys, now we're unpacking this Kesher. Let me bring us back the Mount of Transfiguration. And who's there before Jesus and before Peter, James, and John? Moses and Elijah. And what do we know about Jesus? His his presence, his, His being is quite literally transfigured. And He is bright and radiant. He is illuminated. Here Moses says, God, just let me see you. And he says, ultimately if you follow the story, he says, I'll let you see my back. But you can't look into the face of God. At least you'll be struck down by my goodness, by my glory, by my majesty. And Moses, of course, says, that'll work, I guess. Right? Paraphrase. But then we get back again. Now looking at this idea, uh, the Jewish listener is just 
ultimately so familiar with this idea of illumination. And we see that verse 2 of Matthew 17, There He, being Jesus, was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became as white as the light. Alright, let me just break something down for you guys. His face shines brighter than the sun, and His glory is so just transcendent, even His clothes, which just merely touch Him, begin to shine. And we'll know as we continue studying through the book of Mark that the sick are brought before Him and they just want to touch His robe. Why? Because they believed that much that the power of God flowed from Him. You and I get to see a more full image. We get to see Jesus with that kind of glory and that kind of majesty. And a lot of us still don't have faith to believe. A lot of us still don't have faith to think that God can really intervene, that God can really intercede, that God can really heal people. They were just on a hope and a prayer and on word of mouth. Word of mouth says this guy is so great that he can just... You touch his robe and you're healed. You and I get to see it lived out. We get to see the historical accounts. We get to know historical fact. Even... Someone who claims to be an atheist, this is back to this, can't deny Jesus was a real person. They, they have to begin to self-justify. They say, well, He was just a good person. He was a good teacher. Alright? Historical fact. Jesus was really marched before Pontius Pilate. He was really flogged. He was really put on a cross. Again, historical fact. Multiple uh, historians of antiquity, which just means uh, the historians of his time, attest to this. You can really go today to Israel. You can really go to Jerusalem and really see the tomb that was cut out, that Christ Jesus was placed in. Again, historical fact. Now, don't get off on the tourist attractions because everybody in the world has figured out tourism and, hey, we can get... Hey, you know, don't go with them. Come with us. You know, we got this cheaper tour, but we're going to show you the things that nobody... They're just going to show you a random rock cut into the side, uh, a hole cut into the side of a random rock. Don't, don't go on that. But follow the holy priest and you can find, again, proven fact, Jesus was put into a tomb. Alright, here's where the point of contention. All this is historical fact. Now it is a historical fact that on that third day that the stone is found to be rolled away and Jesus is not there. Again, historical fact. You and I, we have to believe in the historical fact that the accounts that a resurrected Jesus appeared to His followers. That the resurrected Jesus not only appeared but his nail-scarred hands. I think those were left there just for, honestly, just for one person, Thomas. Why? Because Thomas says, I'll believe it when I can put my hand through the holes, I can touch the hole in the side, and Jesus appears to him. And what does he say? Hey, Thomas. Come here, buddy. Right, this is again paraphrase. Caleb's paraphrase. <laughs> 
And for you and I, this is the point where even people where you can show them the historical facts are just so vehemently opposed to the goodness of God that they'll say, "Mm -mm, that part's not true. You could undeniably, you know, just look into these facts. So I gave uh, Leslie a book recently, but uh, you can get them a lot of places. There's one called The Case for Christ and the one called The Case for Faith. Both of them are just full of historical facts of how you cannot argue. He was a, a, a proclaimed atheist in Chicago. Uh, I'm way, yeah, that was a terrible Chicago accent, but you guys knew where I was going with that. He was a proclaimed, it's the same as my Boston, just to be honest with you. Uh, yep. Cat. But again, it, it, Lee Strobel starts going through these facts. He is like, literally, his profession is a fact checker. And he says to his wife who, went, who became a believer, Honey, the further that I searched and the more that I, un- I uncovered, the more that the undeniable truth was that Jesus, who he, who he said as He was. So here, we see on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is literally the, the culmination or the fulfillment of the law, the prophets, and the writings. He is what everything pointed to. And in that moment, what did Moses get to do? Look upon the face of God. Alright. David is like the king of the Jews. Everybody, you know, we got that. But Moses is like next level for these guys. Idolized. Which one of our Ten Commandments is what? Not to make an idol. And they idolize Moses. It's called the law of Moses or the Mosaic law. And it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's God's law. But it just shows you where we go as people. And so here Paul is saying, I could try and explain this to you a million different ways. And it would just whew, right over your head but I could use the terminology that you can't deny. In other words, I can use the undeniable facts, the historical facts. I can use this one phrase to illuminate the truth to you. And it doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter which pantheon of other gods you may have bowed down and worshipped. But when I tell you that our God... Yahweh is the one God of illumination. And He really sent His Son to this earth to be a light. What what did Jesus say? That you and I were to be lights? That He was the way, the truth, the life? He was the light. He was illumination. Man. And the day will come when still so many will be told, Depart from me. I never knew you. To illuminate for everyone the stewardship 
It can be said another way to illuminate the fellowship or what he pointed back in verse 6. This idea of being a co-heir or a fellow heir. Which was for ages past kept hidden in God who created all things. And the thing is, it wasn't hidden. It wasn't hidden, y'all. It was there all along. That's why Jesus says that He didn't come to abolish. The truth was all, it was quite literally just strewn across the Old Testament, across the writings of old. And what Jesus wouldn't call the Old Testament, it would be the Testament, right? Because the Old Testament was, that was Jesus' Bible. And so you have these dangerous teachers today, y'all, they go, yeah, we're a New Testament church. Then you are a heretic. And I, I don't, I'm not one to use that phrase. But if you want to use that kind of terminology, you are a heretic and you are pointing people away from God. Why? Because Jesus makes clear that He's not here to abolish the law and the prophets, the writings. He is the fulfillment. So for these churches that, and I say churches loosely, be nice, Caleb. That was just a, you just heard a subliminal talk I had with myself there. But for these churches that don't teach the Old Testament, don't reference the Old Testament, it is like this thing that just doesn't exist. You are pointing people away from Jesus. You are leading people away from Jesus because... Said another way, that was Jesus' Bible. And all those things pointed to Him as the way that we could all be co-heirs with God the Father. It's why this idea of... Let me just unpack this last idea with you. It's why this idea of Anti-Semitism, or in other words, hating Jewish people. But we really think that's what God wanted. Why? Because you know all that separates them from us? The completed Jews are, are, are here with us, but all that separates the Jew from us is realizing that Jesus was the, the fulfillment of everything that they're looking to her. In other words, they're, said another way, they're maybe closer to Jesus than a lot of people who claim to be Christians. They just need that final illumination to open the tunnel vision so they can see that Christ really did die for them. And so I can't get behind this idea. There are claiming to be Christian churches, guys, that will just down Jews. That's dangerous. That is dangerous grounds. So for us, we just see ourselves as blessed and fortunate that the mystery of God was revealed to us. You know what Jesus said? That we were to proclaim the good news to all Nations. 
You know what Paul himself said, that the, the, the gospel of salvation was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So we really got to start unpacking this, guys. Our, our, I, I say all this and I bring all these points to you to really highlight, guys, we have to be reading our Bibles. The whole thing. You're like, even Lamentations... Even Lamentations. Even Song of Solomon. Not allowed in public settings, but yes. I'm kidding. There's some spicy stuff there, y'all. All of Scripture points us to Christ. All of Scripture points us to Christ. And there's some undeniable facts I need you to know before I pray for us. You and I were, were separated from God. Alright? We brought sin into our own lives and, and, and separated ourselves from God. And only Christ Jesus could come down and be the bridge, our righteousness, to be our spotless Lamb. To pay a, a debt that you and I could never pay. And the fact is very true that Christ Jesus took our death, on the third day separated us in the resurrection, provided for us a resurrected body, provided for us a way to be made one once again with God. And that He ascended and in His ascension, the Holy Spirit descends to live amongst those who call on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that this thing, this Bible, is the only way that you and I will ever know God more personally. Again, these are facts, guys. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful tonight, Lord, that You have shown us Your goodness. God, that You have unpacked Your glory for us through the person of Jesus Christ. I'm just so thankful, Lord, that He would take my death. He would pay my debt, one that I could never pay. And that I could be made whole with, with You once more. God, I'm so thankful for the, 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 the dissension of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell amongst us who would be believers, God. That He would point us to You that He would unify us with You, that He would illuminate Your path, and that He would give us the breath of life. And I pray, Lord, today we would be one with You. We would seek You more. We would read Your Bible more. We would pray more, and that we would strive to be more like Jesus. We pray these things in Your heavenly glorious name. Amen.